The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, this is Tim. Hey, Tim, it's Nathan Manning. How are you? Hey, Senator. Good. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Good. A Monday morning. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to do this, and I uh, won't take up much of your time, but I um, thought it would be good to let our listeners and our members get to know you a little bit. Yeah, great. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you well. Can you hear me? Yep. Great. I'm on um, AirPods, so you never know. Sometimes it'll work great, and sometimes not so much. Sure, yeah. Makes sense. Are you uh, in Columbus now or out in Lorraine County? No. I'm in Lorraine County, so um, I'm on finance for the first time, so I've been in Columbus quite a bit for the last uh, few weeks, but this week is my first week down there, just uh, two full days this week. But for the most part, it's been uh, three or four days. Right. You have some uh, some major issues on the on your plate in the finance committee. Yeah, there's a lot, lot going on for sure. But. The big pandemic relief bill I saw for small businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was sent to 109, um, and most of that money was coming from, you know, federal COVID relief money that uh, went through the state. And I worked on that with uh, Senator Ruley, but really uh, all four of those bills. Um, it was a group effort with the governor's office, with the, with the House, and certainly Chairman Dolan and, and our finance team over in the Senate. Um, but really, um, 109 was kind of focused on small business relief. Um, you know, there's a lot of people um, or businesses that applied previously um, under previous relief dollars for small business relief fund, and they qualified, but the fund ran out. So that was a big part of the bill was making sure that those businesses that qualified still got their money. Um, and then um, some people were did not qualify because they started their business um, very recently. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to include some money to, you know, certainly help them out as well. Um, just because they, you know, it was hard for them to show, you know, how much revenue they've lost and things of that sort. Uh, but just because, you know, starting a business right now certainly is a, a difficult time, just you know, under some of the restrictions and and certainly just the pandemic in, in general. So, you know, we, you know, our bill was focused on on small business for the most part, but you know, money was going to county fairs as well, um, indoor outdoor entertainment venues that you know lost a lot of revenue. Um, you know, uh, veteran homes, the two veteran homes in, in uh, Ohio as well. So we, we covered a little bit of everything. I, I think the total was $556 million, a little over that. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of money that um, is coming into the state and we're just trying to you know, allocate it in a responsible way. And how would businesses access that money? Would that be through their banks? No, um, it'll, it'll go through um, GFS and um, through the uh, state of Ohio. Um, like I said, a lot of them already um, you know, applied for the small business release. So, you know, they'll be contacted and, and, uh, they'll receive their money through those means. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so just taking a step back, can you tell us a little bit about how you got in and how and why you got into politics? Yeah. Um, you know, I always joke, I, I think I was brainwashed at a very young age. Um, you know, there's pictures of me, uh, uh, you know, knocking doors and in parades and wearing t-shirts and stuffing envelopes um, from a very, very young age. My sister and I 
because uh, my dad was always involved in politics. I'm kind of behind the scenes as a um, appointed law director and just active in, in the community. Right. Um, so we were we, we were always uh, partaking and you know something that I just you know kind of second nature to you know uh, get involved in, in people that are running for office. I think it's certainly important um, at any position and uh, you know just trying to um, get good people elected. Uh, and then as I was graduating um, high school, my dad, that's when term limits went into place for um, the state house. Right. So he was running for office my kind of my senior year. You know, the primary was my senior year. And then the general was uh, when I was um, at Denison uh, down in Columbus. So, uh, you know, it was a time for me to really get involved, help him a lot. And uh, uh, as I was entering college, trying to decide what to do, right, you, you know, a political science major uh, made a lot of sense for me. So. Uh, I went into that and, and really, um, you know, I guess, you know, went in <laughs> uh, full steam ahead on politics after that. And really, you know, it was interesting to me. I think, you know, it, you try to focus your career on things that are interesting to you. So I did that and then went to law school and then came back up and got involved in the local party and, um, you know, local politics to a certain extent. About that time, my mom, uh, we lost my dad uh, in 2004, but my mom... Mm-hmm got involved in 2010. So it was very involved in her campaign and everything else. And then, um, when term limits, um, took place for, for my house district, um, I think they called maybe five or six people before me, but you know, the <laughs> local party and the state party, uh, you know, kind of, uh, approached me to, to run for office. I said, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually, uh, they twisted my arm and uh, speaker Batchelder talked me in the, in the running and, uh, ran for that and somehow won and, and then uh, did two terms in the House and now I'm in my first uh, term in the Senate. And were you serving as prosecutor when they called you up? Yeah, I was. Uh, it, it was an appointed position as a city prosecutor for North Ridgeville. So it was a part-time job, you know, actually very similar to, you know, being a state rep or state senator. It was kind of Tuesday through Thursday mm-hmm. work, but still allowed me to do uh, my private practice at my, my law office. And you still maintain the private practice? Um, if you if you ask me, I say absolutely. If you ask my law partner slash sister, she would. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm there occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, they they say that your job as a senator is part time, but I don't believe it. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, it's certainly, um, if you look at just like session days and things, you could certainly argue it's part time. But um, to do the job effectively, you, you certainly need to put a lot of time in. That's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so some of the bills we are watching, uh, house bill 68 prompt pay, um, prompt pay, I should say, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, pass the house will be coming to the Senate. Um, do you have any knowledge or information on that bill? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I don't think it's been referred to a committee. I could be wrong. I know pass the house. Uh, so we're just, um, you know, starting to look at on the Senate side, but I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with them, certainly before, you know, I haven't taken a deep dive, I guess, but, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, reading briefly about it certainly sounds like something I would uh, support and sounds pretty common sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's important to the industry. Um, you know, with any small business, with any business, I should say, um, getting paid and getting paid promptly and on a regular uh, schedule is critical. Without that, you're, you're not in business. Um, so it's super important to our contractors. It's already in existence, the same rules on the public contracting side, but not on the private side, which is what this bill attempts to do is to make the rules the same for the private sector that are applied in the public sector. Um, so yeah, it's very important to us. 
it's one of those builds that, I mean, unless you're in the industry, right, you, you're not even aware that it could be an issue, but, um, and you, and you wonder why it's not already law, you know, it's one of those, yeah. um, things where you, you should make it consistent with the private and public sector for sure. And, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not sure what committee I'll get sent to, but hopefully, uh, over in the Senate, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we'll have time before, uh, you know, we're done, um, with the budget, but hopefully we'll dive right in and, um, you know, hopefully it'll get moved here somewhat quickly. Yeah, that'd be great. Another one, um, that you've had some involvement in already, maybe under the prior general assembly is, uh, Senate bill 25, which I think was Senate bill 152, uh, which was the, uh, prohibition against defrauding drug testing through uh, synthetic urine. And I think there's been some yeah. um, additions to that, but what, uh, what is your stance or view on that law? Yeah, that's in the committee I chair. So it's in a judiciary committee. Um, and it's uh, a kind of two bills that kind of merged into one. Um, one is, uh, this, uh, this is Senator Gavarone's bill. Um, both of them were last general assembly and she merged her two bills into one. And mm. one is like dealing drugs, um, around, you know, a treatment center. Um, we've seen certainly an increase in that people are, um, trying to you know get clean off of, um, you know, drugs and or alcohol and, uh, you know, drug dealers are targeting those areas, um, to try to, you know, uh, get their clients back or get new clients. And, uh, you know, we're looking at, you know, doing penalty enhancements there for if you're targeting somebody that's trying to, to get, um, you know, clean. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the other aspect is the defrauding, you know, uh, urine screening test, uh, synthetic urine. And that's something um, I've seen from the, um, I guess, probation or parole uh, viewpoint, uh, you know, as a defense attorney. I mean, I remember many years ago uh, before you could buy synthetic urine and, uh, you could buy all these things online or, or at different, uh, you know, gas stations across, across the country. Um, I remember a client, you know, doing that, uh, you know, basically making his own, you know, um, bladder and, and, uh, defrauding a test. And, and, uh, uh, and I think that was happening quite a bit in the probation uh, world, but as, you know, as your industry has seen, you know, certainly see it, um, in the private sector as well. And, uh, it's a, you know, area that, you know, certainly, uh, we don't want people defrauding tests, and and so we're looking at that. I, I think the um, more I don't want to say controversial, but the penalty enhancements on on dealing of drugs around um, treatment centers um, is something we're taking a little closer look at. Anytime there's penalty enhancements, mm-hmm. um, usually there's for a good reason, but you want to make sure it's very targeted and and not too um, broad because that's where we get in trouble. And you know the criminal justice reform. Um, side of things where we, you know, want to certainly help people um, become productive members of society. We don't want to get them uh, trapped in the criminal justice uh, sure. world, you know, for forever. So, you know, we're, we're looking at making penalties, you know, strong but but narrow, and try to focus on on areas that uh, you know certainly need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally agree. Uh, is frankly, a little bit frustrating last, last general assembly, uh, the, the prohibition against, um, selling, using synthetic urine passed the Senate and then for some reason got stuck in the house and nobody could, under, could explain how that happened. And it, the time ran out, um, the general assembly uh, session expired and, and now we're starting over. Um, so that, that, that as a, uh, just an advocate for something that's needed. It should be a no brainer. I mean, there was very little opposition testimony to that bill. 
just a little bit frustrating and perplexing as to why uh, such a simple solution that other states have adopted would uh, would would uh, get tripped up in the legislative process. Yeah, I, I would say last general assembly, at least of the ones I've been around for, was the kind of the most confusing on why certain certain bills didn't get passed or. Um, really, a, a lot of times I saw it where, you know, the Senate would pass it and the House would pass it in, in a different bill or a different version, but very similar. And so both bodies had passed these bills, but neither one was like the same bill, so they didn't become law. Mm. Um, so it's really, you know, it's almost like, wait, that didn't become law? Why not? You know, <laughs> I, I know both chambers voted on it. Yeah. And uh, I think that was, one that, you know, this bill kind of, um, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, things get amended in the bills and for whatever reason that. Uh, the president or speaker doesn't doesn't like that amendment, and, and it unfortunately doesn't move. But yeah, I've had discussions with the uh, criminal justice chair over, um, you know, in the house, and I know this is a priority for them as well. So hopefully, uh, we're having a hearing on it this week uh, to adopt a sub bill, which doesn't affect anything um, in the synthetic urine realm, mm-hmm. but um, you know, adopting a sub bill where we talk to some opponents of, of the other aspect of the bill to try to appease some of their concerns. So hopefully we'll get that uh, moving out of the Senate here quickly and over to the House. And I know Senator Gavarone works her bills very hard, so I'm optimistic that this will be, you know, be passed this year. Yeah, it's great. It's almost like that part of the bill was uh, was too too much of a no-brainer for people to want to spend time on. <laughs> it's like they assumed that, that it should be <laughs> already the law. Yeah. But I uh, yeah. appreciate, appreciate you... Um, shepherding that through with uh, you know Senator Gavron. Um, so what are some of the other big issues you've been working on? Yeah, so this is my first, you know, I served, like I said, two, two terms in the House, and I you know, served last General Assembly in the Senate, and uh, this is my first time on Finance Committee. So, um, you know, it's an a interesting committee to be on, lots of long hours, lots of meetings outside committee, and, and lots of uh, uh, testimony. So, you know, that's been taking up a lot of my time is, uh, you know, sitting at finance committee, which is, you know, an incredibly interesting committee to be on just because, it, you know, you're, de- you know, you're dealing with the budget and there's so many different issues uh, working through right. the budget. So uh, that's been taking up a lot, a lot of our time. And then another uh, very interesting um, committee I'm on is the select committee for gaming, um, hmm. which, you know, you know, when you talk to, uh, you know, like my nephew or <laughs> kids, they think gaming, like, you know. Uh, but this is for sports betting, it's for e-bingo, um, i-lottery, and, uh, and it's, uh, you know, we're trying to legalize sports betting um, in Ohio, and, and that's uh, an area where, you know, you're basically making a new industry, so, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's fairly new, you know, a lot of states are, are passing it, with the Supreme Court um, ruling that, you know, they could, and um, so there's a lot of different ways to go about it, and we're just trying to figure out you know, what's best for Ohio and, uh, it's taking, you know, a lot of time, but it's incredibly interesting and fun to work on. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Now in the current state of things, are Ohio dollars being sent out of state for this activity? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're looking, you know, certain like Pennsylvania and, you know, Michigan and, and certain states have already legalized it. So, you know, people are traveling to those states to, Place bets, and also a, a major problem is you know um, the illegal betting that's going on, um, and so betting's already happening in Ohio, um, but we want to you know make it easier for consumers so they don't have to do it you know on, on the 
black market and and make it legalized, but you know, make it good for the consumer, um, make it good for taxpayers, uh, and make it you know where it's it's you know ethical and responsible. And you know, I, I think we have a good you know plan in place, but you know, as always, uh, delves into details. So that's what we're trying to work out right now. So I see on that on the summary of that bill, there's uh, the proposal is 20 licenses for mobile app online gaming and 20 for brick and mortar sports gaming. Uh, would that would some of those be in casinos? Where would what, where would other brick and mortar sites be? Yeah, and, and this is a, a bill that's uh, you know, quickly changing. But sure. the, the idea coming into it was, you know, we wanted to create as much as possible a free market, you know, but it's also a very regulated industry. And there's, you know, we didn't want the wild, wild west where anybody with, you know, a million dollars, um, you know, could get a license. So it, it's a, you know, a delicate balance, but, um, in terms of the brick and mortar, uh, you know, what we're, you know, we wanted to, you know, certainly allow for casinos, uh, you know, to, to have that. The, the original draft, um, did not include casinos, racinos, because I think we were looking at it as more of an economic development. Hmm. But as we took a closer look, we realized, you know what, it's important that these casinos and racinos have a you know sports book if they want one, um, you know, in their facility, and then also allow for other brick and mortar. Um, and we're looking, you know, some sports teams are interested. You know, the Cincinnati Reds have come in to testify that they would uh, love to have a brick and mortar. You know you know, relatively close to their stadium. And, hmm. um, although they can't necessarily be directly affiliated with it, it's probably would be good for the fans and, uh, to you know, you know, kind of have a fun option for fans either going there before the game or you know, going there to watch the game. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we foresee, you know, a lot of the sports teams, um, maybe not immediately doing that, you know, but uh, eventually, um, you know, going towards some sort of brick and mortar that's, um, you know, close proximity to their stadium. Uh, to have a better fan experience and, and betting, you know, sports betting is kind of, you know, if you look over at Europe, you know, they, they have them on the back of their, you know, chairs at the stadiums and everything else. And wow. we might be, you know, a little farther away from that. But um, I do think a lot of people, you know, when you're listening to sports talk radio, they're, they're talking about the lines and they're, all the you, know, time. you know, all the time. And it's not legal yet. So imagine once it's legal, you know, I think it's a certainly a growing industry, something that many people are, um, you know, with, fantasy football and everything else kind of leading the way. I think this is the, the next step for, for people in Ohio. And I think it should be, it'll be a lot of, you know, a lot of fun, um, maybe a few you know, growing pains with any new industry. Um, but, uh, something that's, that's coming one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Like it or not, it's here. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, Senate bill 21, where you, uh, your sponsor and regarding medical services for stroke patients. Uh, what, what is that bill about? So this is a bill I'm working on um, with Senator Antonio out of Lakewood, uh, Cuyahoga County. Um, and what we're trying to do is make it very similar to trauma um, situations, you know, where you're trying to be smart about it, right? Where, where should this person go? And, um, you know, when, you know, the paramedics show up, they can evaluate the situation and, and they know uh, what's happening with that patient. And maybe the closest hospital, you know, isn't, isn't certified enough. for certain trauma right. or, or isn't certified for certain, you know, for severe strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we're you know trying to do is, you know, come up with a plan just like the, like it's already uh, the law for trauma and, you know, have the experts in the field at the hospital, the, you know, uh, you know, the first responders, mm-hmm. um, all come up with a plan on what's best for 
you know, this particular case in this particular location, maybe the closest hospital isn't the best idea because you could, you know, take them to a, a relatively close hospital that is better prepared for that situation. So, um, you know, you're seeing better outcomes in, in certain hospitals that, you know, have the you know, proper training, the proper equipment to, to deal with um, some of these more severe strokes. That's uh, near and dear to my heart. My my father had a stroke. He was thirty nine years old and uh, severe oh, wow. brainstem stroke, and was in the hospital for three months. Two of which were on, in ICU on life support. So, I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hear these stories, um, heartbreaking stories of, of people of all ages, and and really the the science and studies show that the quicker you get them to you know proper treatment, the the better the outcome and. Yeah, that's all this is trying to do um, is you know, have the best outcome possible. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. It's the timing is everything, and can predict how uh, how how extensive of a recovery you can make. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. Uh, well, I don't want to take up much more of your time. I do want to say we appreciate your your listening ear for the industry. You're always uh, there for a phone call or a meeting when when we uh, want to press an issue or or point out something that's important to the contractors. Your support of uh, prevailing wage in Ohio has been very important to us, and very much we very much appreciate it. And of course, um, you know, funding the uh, the necessary infrastructure upgrades that our state needs. Uh, you've been great about that, and we really appreciate it. Is, is there anything you'd like to leave our uh, listeners with? No, just, I mean, certainly I want to thank you, Tim and Chris. I mean, a big part of um, us being good, you know, representatives or senators is, you know, listening to the experts of a particular field, whatever that field is, and, and educating ourselves. And, and you guys do a great job um, of educating us, be, even being able to dumb it down to my level at some point. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's what, you know, we need to do a better job of. Is, is listening to the, the experts and and, uh, and people like you make it easy. So we certainly appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, Senator, and and I appreciate you spending the time with us. Anytime. Thanks, Tim. Right. Have a great week. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.